HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Heads up, Road Trippers. There's a cool project that popped up in my inbox. I wanted to share it with you because I think you'll think it's cool too. Lauren Salkeld is the co-producer of Inside Julia's Kitchen, one of our fellow podcasts here at Heritage Radio Network. But that's just one of the things she does. I keep myself pretty busy, but it sure looks like she keeps herself busier. And one of the things she's been busy at this last year is working on Four People and Planet, a cookbook in support of the United Nations. Four People and Planet features 75 international recipes from chefs, farmers, and indigenous communities with contributions by Jose Andres, Grace Ramirez, and Massimo Boturo, among so many others. The point of the book is to advance the UN's mission to create a more sustainable food system by creating conversations about the weaknesses in our local and global food systems while also providing actionable ways to make change in the form of accessible and sustainable recipes. If you've been paying attention to our podcast recently, you've been hearing Chav and me talk a lot about Dan Saladino's book, Eating to Extinction. For People and Planet feels to me like a recipe guide to how to help avoid that extinction. Anyway, if this speaks to the direction you want the earth to go in, if it speaks to the direction that you want to go in, check out Four People and Planet. It's available now wherever you purchase books. And if you can't find it, go to agaveroadtrip.com to the page for this episode, and we'll have a link there. I'm Lou Bank. I am Chao Periwan. This is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning, critically acclaimed podcast that helps Green Gex bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. And today. And today, Chava. So uh, Inside Hook, you know, hired me to, to write a few articles about mezcal. Yeah, and you're feeling all fussy inside and important. No, 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 not no. at all. <laughs> uh, but it means that I had to actually do research on like what I normally do for our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? you had to read which is uh, always a challenge. I don't. I don't read. I just. I do I research. It's like, uh, you, yeah. <laughs> well, all I need is a paragraph or two on a, a subject. I can just go off on it. But anyway, so I had to do the the research. So I thought might as well use it twice. Yep. 
right? Let's do that. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah I'm happy. And, and again, you didn't tell me anything about this. So I just have to be reacting, which is easy for me. Right, right, right. So, okay. So, you know, if you were to believe the geekiest of agave nerds, you'd think that barrel aging mezcal was like a form of desecration. Crime. Right, right. And, you know, and I said exactly that to our friend uh, David Hammond in an interview in 2015 in print. Oh, so really? What, you did? Oh, my no, God. What, what do you say? Oh, my God. So he he had just done a series of, a series, I think it was two articles in the Chicago Tribune about Mescal. And after the first one, I was like, uh, David, we, we, you know, we should get together. It's been a while since I've seen you, and it, it had been. Um, and, you know, there's some things that aren't entirely accurate here. <laughs> and then there was a second one that appeared. I was like, okay, no, David, like, you have this all messed up. We have to get together. And one of the big things was that mezcal can be in Yeho, Reposado, Joven. And I was like, no, David, you don't understand, man. Anybody who had a good mezcal, they would never age it in wood. And then, so that's you in said- print. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. Whenever, I love it. Whenever I Google myself, which is every morning at 8 a.m., whenever I Google myself, that's like one of the first hits that comes up is that article. And always you know, watch what you're saying. Always watch what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think it's there's that, but I more than that for me, the 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 lesson is um the lesson is that things are far more complicated than you ever think they are. And so in anything, but especially in agave spirits, spirits, yeah. Don't be declarative about absolutes because you're always right. We've done this yeah, episode. Yeah, that's right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so, so but, anyway, anyway, so um, uh, there there are you know this, I know this. There are communities where they would not absolutely not age their mezcal in wood because. Because of those reasons, but you don't gotta travel so far away from those communities to find communities where they do age in mm-hmm. barrels, right? Yeah. Well, so so it got me thinking about the tradition of aging in barrels, and my head went back to our trip to Durango, where we saw that photo on Mariano's wall, right? Yeah. Of his grandfather, grandfather carrying mezcal on top, well, using a, a donkey. And the mezcal was contained in wooden barrels. Right, right, right. And so, so, I um, I I contacted Chuck Cowdery. Chuck is one of the best known um, uh, sources of uh, experts on bourbon. Mm-hmm. Right, he wrote the original book on bourbon. The original. The original, he really did. He wrote like the first book uh, that that meant anything to bourbon readers. Uh, let's see where, if you can find it here. It's called, yeah, it's called uh, Bourbon Straight. And he's also got an ongoing blog that he does called the uh, the Chuck Cowdery blog. Very creatively named. That wasn't an insult, Chuck. That was a joke. Okay. Why, why are you looking at me that way, Chuck? Anyway, um, so, uh, so I contacted him to have this conversation because I thought if I'm going to talk about, if I'm going to write about, um, and then talk about, if I'm going to write about barrel aging mezcals, maybe the place to start is whiskey. It's home, basically. It's home, uh, right, because yeah. people always say, people, people, <laughs> people always <laughs> say that, uh, that often say that uh, mezcal is being aged in wood for the gringo market because that's what we're used to with whiskey, right? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard that argument before. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I get it. And and so I thought, okay, let me talk to Chuck and see what his take on some of this stuff is. And he brought me to a place that I think you're going to love. Okay. Okay. So you're not wrong. Everybody was was storing stuff in wood 
he says back in the Iron Age, like between you know the the twelfth and fifth century BC, once they had the tools to create barrels. Everything was, you know, so, okay, sometimes you're storing it, let's be fair, in clay back then, but mainly you're going to store it in wood because you're able to. Okay. Right? But that's different than aging in wood. Okay. Right? There's, I'm storing it in wood. Oh, hey, it tastes a little different. And then there's, I'm intentionally aging it. I've got a purpose to putting it in wood. I'm loving this. I'm I loving knew you this. would I'm love this. this. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I knew you would love this. Okay. So, so he starts jumping back to, he's like jumping all over cognac. He's going back and forth over all these different ideas. But the piece of it that, that, uh, that stuck with me is he was talking about cabinet wines. Okay. So cabinet wines are exactly what they sound like where the winemaker has the wine that he's selling, which isn't really aged in wood, it's just it's in wood until he sells it. Yeah, it's stored. Yeah, but he's experimenting, or she is experimenting by putting stuff in smaller barrels in wood in their cabinet for their own enjoyment, right? So he's like, he's got all of these fascinating thoughts and stories about they ended up doing the same thing with whiskey. Of course they did. And it was the point at which the 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 point at which everything changed was in essence the birth of real bourbon in the USA. So whiskey mm. used to just be whiskey, mm-hmm. and none of it was aged. It wasn't like, like white dog. Uh, or no, there no, was no term white dog because it was just so white. It was whiskey. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't until uh, the mid eighteen hundreds. Yeah, it wasn't until the mid-1800s that you had people even playing around with this the idea of aging specifically to create a product that tasted a way, that tasted X way because yeah, yeah, it was yeah. aged for so long in this kind of wood, that, right? So it wasn't until the mid-1800s, and then you don't really get it commercially until you get into um, uh, just after Prohibition. So the 1930s. okay. So again, I'm not saying that there was no whiskey aged in wood before them. What I am saying is commercially, if you were buying whiskey, you were buying... And, and there was not a systematic body of knowledge of how yes. which specific wood was doing what, with what kind of a specific white dog, and would it JBB for what amount of time, all of those things that really define a uh, a project a, a a a project that can exist through the years yeah and he says in fact if you look back on it um uh if you look back on the history of of whiskey in general bourbon specifically you see a lot of distilleries going out of business as the market changed to um to going for aged spirits because before it was basically a week maybe two weeks between creating the spirit and selling it Mm. and then suddenly you had all these carrying costs that were for these people astronomical so if you look back on the history of bourbon and of whiskey yeah again particularly in the usa the people who moved the industry forward what were their real jobs uh, uh, well, like the the consumers of, of not the this? consumers, the people who moved the industry, who like took over the industry, was all bankers, because they understood how to manage the cash flow and the and and get the investments in order to create wood age spirits. 
and 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 to and to have enough like to, to be able to have enough product that is going to be sold 12, 12 years from now, 14 years from now. Yeah, exactly that. So, okay, so so take this context now and go back to well, is it traditional that they're that they're aging in wood? Okay, well, you know, what's the what's the um hmm. what is the age of the tradition of aging whiskey in wood as ah. aging it, not storing it, right? It's very recent. It's, it's very extremely it's, recent. It's yeah. I mean, it's 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 more. It's a hundred years old and change, which is but 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 in the grand scheme of whiskey, it's 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 recent. It's nothing. Yeah. And so then you know my head goes back to okay. So when did you first see any mention of tequila as an aged product? Hmm. Right? Oh, yeah, I can tell from the look on your face, you actually think I've done something intelligent for once. So so I started going through my favorite source, yeah, books.google.com, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And I don't find anything about Añejo tequila, or tequila Añejo. Or Reposado. No, no, no. Reposado is much later. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't find anything about tequila Añejo until the 1930s. Well, it's not that late compared to it's that's exactly my point the same freaking moment that's exactly my point i think the two things grew up at the same time i think i you know look like i i realized that community we didn't have emails right back in back in the 1920s 1930s but we did have people traveling right we did have all these these people documenting traveling and i think there was this not fluid exchange of ideas, but an exchange of ideas. And you also had a bunch of kids that were moving and were trying, were bringing a skill set to mm -hmm. a new community. And yep. they were like, hey, you have this thing that tastes okay. Yeah. I can make it taste really good. Yeah, we're doing this thing up here. You should try it down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating, right? So if you look, like I, I found, oh, I found three hits. Nineteen thirty-four was Mexican Life, Mexico's Monthly Review, Volume Ten. Where, uh, the, the, where's the, where's the, the paragraph? Here we go. On other rainy afternoons, they sat in the back room of Jalisco Viejo, holding hands while they took little slow sips of smelly tequila añejo. The stuff burned her throat, but she liked it because he was with her. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? That's totally hot. And so that's that's 1934, and then you get a 1937 hit and a 1938 hit. But Reposado, Reposado doesn't hit until somewhere in the 1970s, which I think, you know, because that's when you got your denomination of origin. And they wanted to make distinctions depending on how long, because probably Añejo was one month to 10 years. Right. And right. like nobody really knew, like as long as he had a little bit of color and had spent some time in wood, yeah. like that was already, how, how would you call it? So no distinction and really value proposition depending on the time. Right. And then you think about those holding costs again, like, okay, hang on a second. I can't keep holding this for this. Maybe I create something that's just not, it doesn't take as long. And that way I can sell it after three months, yeah. four months. Yeah. 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 Well, okay, but then, actually, what, what you're telling me here, really, is that we cannot talk... Uh, what? Well, this is, I, ju I just did a, a bunch of videos and, uh, and, and, and went through a lot of interviews in, uh, from Pedro Santiago in Matatlan, who sold this Reposado and Añejo to Maggie Melate. And what they were telling us, too, during the interviews that was fascinating, is like their grandparents, they actually preferred the things that had spent some time in wood. 
That、mm-hmm. was what the grown-ups preferred. How old do was, you think their grandparents were?、Uh, not that old.、Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, like my age, <laughs> like, like,、right? Yeah, no, 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 no. These, these people are they, they they're probably like in in like early sixties. So, so like my age. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the grandparents might.、Uh, oh, 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 they were so the guy. They are so yeah, another about forty years. Yeah, forty. Yeah, forty fifty. Yeah. So yeah, like I mean that's. I mean, in the scheme of the tradition you're describing, that's actually、uh, quite long time, and they were also telling us well, that they, that would be early 1900s. That, that's that's what I'm saying.、Yeah. And the other thing is that they were telling us that、uh, we're trying to figure out the kind of wood that their barrels were made of,、yeah. and they had inherited their barrels. They had inherited the barrels. The, that they the were barrels using that they, they were, they're using today. So that so they couldn't tell you what kind of wood it was, or they had no idea. You know, it's interesting. Another thing that Chuck said to me was that,、um, and, and I don't know if this is accurate for、um, for Mexico, right? But he he was telling me the traditions here. You you'd always go for oak, and the reason you would go for oak, and this doesn't add up to me,、uh, but you know, but maybe it will to you, or maybe it will to somebody、uh, who who understands wood better. But he said the reason that they would go with white oak specifically was because. It was a wood that didn't change shape so much when it dried out. Yeah. So, oh, this does make sense to you. Yeah. Well, because I was in glass, and well, for two reasons. But yeah, continue, continue. Just finish the idea. So yeah. So the so the idea was that、uh, if your barrel of, of if your oak white oak barrel were empty, you didn't have to put water in it in order to keep it swollen in order to ensure that it didn't leak the next time you put. Whiskey in it. Yeah. So、uh, this is something that you see a lot in when you're visiting palenques.、Mm-hmm. And like, if if it's a palenque that doesn't produce all year long round, you、right. sometimes see those、uh, fermentation tanks all twisted and destroyed because they were used. They they used like chip pine、yeah. to build them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why you walk into a lot of、uh, small palenques that are dengue infection. Epicenters, <laughs> fermentation tanks full with water during the time that they're not using the palenque, and in glass blowing,、uh, that was something that I、uh, I worked at for a long time. All the all a lot of the molds that were cheaper, that were not metal molds, were made out of wood, and you will use cherry, for example,、mm-hmm. or or、uh, white oak. I think we didn't use, but it had always to be wet. So it will keep your molds a hundred like with with moisture all the time, so they wouldn't twist. Yeah. So yeah, it makes a ton of sense to me. Cool. And so、uh, now I want to move from this idea to、uh, your dismissal of the barrels from outside the communities. Right in our previous episode. Well, it was not a dismissal. I'm I'm trying to understand why people would、uh, feel that the barrels don't belong to Mexico. You, I, I don't understand. Well, like、yeah. I think a lot of people think that、uh, the barrel aging processes are,、uh, and again, like for what you're telling me here,、yeah. that's absolutely and completely inaccurate. Clearly, right. right, right, right. But I think there's this notion that barrels are for France, they're for the United yeah, States, right, they're right, from right, Scotland,、right. and that's not right, something. Right, because their stuff is garbage anyway. It needs the wood to taste good. Yeah, hey, hey, <laughs> I, I, I'm a huge. I have a huge professed love for white dog. So,、uh, 
<laughs> right on. Well, but like the sense I got was that you were in essence um, um, dismissing the bourbon barrels that are being shipped down to Mexico for some mescaleros to age their mezcal. Well, and what 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 I think the argument there will be is that it's not only adding an, another foreign layer of flavor to agave, but it's a layer of flavor that it's not related in any shape or form to the place where that's being made. Well, and I, and I get that, but. But my head goes back to the conversation that we had with the gentleman from Sombra, whose name I never remember. And Guillaume. Guillaume. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, Guillaume sa- suggested, at least, uh, I don't know that he outright said, but didn't he suggest that um, that the, the 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 real changes, the real effect, had less to do with the wood and more to do with the micro oxygenation? It's it's an integral thing. It's the wood. It's the charring of the it's wood. It's, yeah, it's everything. Yeah, yeah. You it's wouldn't be able to. Yeah. So, so, so you think you think a wooden barrel from Mexico will taste significantly different than a wooden barrel from? Uh... Well, that was actually a discussion I was having uh, the other day. And you know, when you talk about pine pine trees, yeah, the most humble kind of wood that you can think of. Uh, balsa, I, balsa would be the most humble. But keep going. Balsa, yeah. yeah well, yeah. anyway, like uh, I remember, I spent a little bit of time in. Uh, I call it a summer camp, and people get offended by that. But uh, I guess it was a glass workshop in uh, in Oregon. It's called Pilchuk okay. Summer Camp for grown-ups. Okay. Uh, and it was in the middle of what I thought was a forest, and then realized that it was a tree farm. Okay. So you guys grow. It's it's like the equivalent of chiquilana beber with trees in the U.S. Oh, I see what yeah, you yeah, you sure. grow. And you're talking specifically about pine. Yes. Yeah, so you yeah, grow yeah, Christmas tree farms. Super fast trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and they, they I don't know how you calibrated that, but they go up really fast. Yeah. So that wood, in my mind, I'm sure it's not the same type of pine tree that you find in Mexico that grew up widely, took a long time to grow. I'm sure that the quality of those two woods, it's distinct. I I, I, I wouldn't be able to say yes or no to that, but I think it's irrelevant. Because the barrels that tend to get sent down uh, from the USA to Mexico are bourbon barrels, which by law have to be white oak. Well, well what I'm trying to explain and using the pine as an example yeah. is that I think in Mexico, you will, could be able to do beautiful barrels with pine trees. Whereas, oh. whereas, whereas I, and again, like I have not tried this. Uh, this is pure speculation mode. But I have the the feeling that also our oak, our every wood that we have here, potentially as the agaves, as the mangoes, as yeah, anything yeah, yeah. that it's cultivating one place or the other, might impart a different flavor profile. Well, and uh, the resin is distinct. The levels of resin have to be distinct. Like all about yeah, it has yeah. to be another thing. Yeah, it could be. You know, my my recollection is that Mariano. Right, Sabra Dios. Yeah, you use his own trees of his. Did he plant. use his own his own oak trees to make his barrels? Yeah, and they use oak all the time for cooking agave. Yeah, they're not unfamiliar into harvesting oak in in Mexico. So, so maybe we just need to get him a barrel from uh, from Kentucky, and he can like do side by side aging. Oh, that would be amazing. I, there has to be someone that does that. Aged in Mexican wood. Well, yeah, Mariano does that. Yeah, okay, well, then well that, right, uh, but, yeah. you, but you mean age like do a side by side? Somebody, somebody's, somebody's doing everything. There's no <laughs> way you and I have an original thought <laughs> yeah, that yeah, nobody's no, right. Absolutely. Right, we just have to find the guy. But uh, easier is let's just let's just get Mariano a barrel. Yeah, it'll be awesome. So, but but then, 
then maybe in mezcal you're really not talking about a tradition of aging, more of more of a tradition of storing. No, I think no. No, no. no. I think that's that's that, that's my whole point. I think it's literally as of the, you know, the 1930s, the mid to late 1930s, because they were calling it tequila añejo, separating it from the other, I think the tradition goes back to at least the 1930s. Wow. Uh, my my head is hurting. I like I need I I need a moment with this, but uh, I let's take what you just said as a conclusion. <laughs> and uh, then maybe there's a follow up. Then maybe there's a follow up because I, I'm I'm a little bit. I mean I'm very excited about this, but I'm also slightly shocked. And I'm like I think I, I lost. Uh, uh, yeah, like I uh, you lost the thread because you were thinking about things and not no, listening. No, not to only me. that. I think like I, I I don't want to stretch the speculation that I want to do. Yeah. So I I, th- I think I'm okay with the speculations that I've done until now. Yeah. They they're not gonna haunt me back for for the years to come, and I don't want to say things that may haunt me back. Fair enough. Okay, Chava. Well, I would say if you enjoyed this episode, go read the article on Inside Hook. There will be a link on the page. Woo-hoo. And I'll catch you next episode. Adios, Hasta pronto. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound Engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.